0: You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. This week is a Friday wrap-up edition, and we will start with Danielle Beck to give us an update on the COVID relief package negotiations.
1: Sure, Steve. Uh, I think the big question right now is will they or won't they? Uh, you know, talks were progressing. The House has passed two COVID relief packages thus far. Uh, but as the number of days on the legislative calendar shrink before the election, you know, we're not really sure. Uh, talks were on again and then off again and now they seem to be on again um they were talking about a small package now they're back at the table talking about something more substantive um you know ethan what do you think
0: you know i've been fascinated by this back and forth over the last couple weeks uh you're right as of this morning we're, we're we're back in the game apparently with the skinny package being sort of the order of the day uh as as far as i'm hearing I guess, spaghetti package is $2.2 trillion. Is that what we're calling skinny?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure because I had heard most recently that it was the big package. Uh, I guess you
0: know, know, it depends on who you ask.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of typical same old, same old for D.C. It depends on who you ask. Um, big question mark. You know, $2.2 trillion could be it. Uh, you know, the big thing that the House is pushing, though, is that there's more that's needed beyond just, you know, COVID relief for agriculture in the way of CFAP. They're talking about things like the Ramp Up Act, which we at NCBA very much support. Uh, You know, big bailout for the airlines may be coming, additional, uh, you know, assistance checks for individual households. We'll see, though.
0: Well, I I think the thing to to keep in mind for everybody listening is as they go through these negotiations, it's obvious that that as people kind of walked away from the table a week or so ago and felt like they they could take a hard line, there are far too many constituencies out there in the country that still need something from a COVID relief package that haven't seen it yet, or in our case in agriculture, probably need a little more. And and so as they kind of went back into their to their respective bunkers and, and kind of took stock of, of what the situation really is, it seems to me that there's there's renewed interest because there's renewed need across both political parties to make sure that when they go to the ballot box on November 3rd, their constituents feel like they've done everything possible to deliver that that aid in whatever form it's needed in in their particular backyard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this season I think is so unpredictable in a way that we really have never seen before in D.C. Uh, There's one thing that's for certain, and everybody wants to keep their jobs here in Washington, D.C., and so there's absolutely incentive from both sides of the aisle, both chambers of Congress. To get a bill across the aisle, it's just a matter of whether or not they can agree on some really key items. The
0: the interesting thing is, and this is always the case this time of year at the end of a Congress, and particularly at the end of a presidential term, you have these kind of drumbeat items that we always see in the fall, right? We always run out of money at the end of September, have to do a CR. Uh, Pont into sometime later in the year and, and, then, and then figure it out after the election. That's kind of a typical rhythm for us here in Washington. But then you also have those bills that have been introduced, concepts that have been workshopped, that, that members are trying to find a way to, to, to get to the president's desk before a term ends. Nobody wants to uh, let the clock run out and have a priority die that may not have the same opportunity in the next Congress. We've certainly seen that over the years, on, on a variety of different pieces of legislation, uh, once that congressional clock turns over, everything stops. You you reintroduce anything you want to, to to live again in the new Congress, nothing nothing really carries over. So you know as we're as we're talking about spending, as we're talking about coronavirus relief, we also have some pieces of legislation that we're seeing move as well. Uh, you know, obviously we've spent a lot of time this year. You mentioned the the ramp up act, you mentioned the direct act, um, some of those those processing capacity bills that we've spent so much time on. Tanner, what is that landscape looking like? We have seen some movement on that beef omnibus that we've been working on with Congressman Johnson uh, for for months now. Where where are we at on that piece?
2: Right. So first and foremost, I think the most important thing to recognize is that this piece of legislation is bipartisan in nature. Um, It has quite a few different provisions in it. Some have been previously introduced, like Direct Act um, and uh, Congressman Johnson's Livestock Risk Management and Education Act. Um, and the Pasture Act, which allows for emergency grazing on CRP land during pandemics. Uh, But it also has a lot of new provisions in there as well. Um, We've workshopped this concept called the Basic Act, which is included in there that would address the the question of hook space. That has come up time and again in this industry over the past several years, especially in the aftermath of COVID when you saw a 40% reduction in packing capacity across this country. How do we address the issue of hook space? So one of the ways that we've identified to do that is through this uh, basic act concept, which would provide federally guaranteed loans or federal grants to those business entities that either want to construct new or expand existing processing capacity. And we think that that's going to go a long ways, especially if there are producer groups out there that maybe have formed a, a co-op or another sort of business entity that may be interested in having a, a packing facility of their own. So uh, this, is, this is tremendous. Having it uh, bipartisan is a, a huge step in the right direction because, like you said, Ethan, uh, if, if we get to the end of this Congress and this bill doesn't move anywhere, Um, then it has to be reintroduced in the next Congress. And we don't know what the makeup of that Congress is going to be.
0: Now, there have been there's been a lot of discussion this week on the Price Act. We we came out and, and have advocated for that bill to be moved and passed quickly, whether that be in the next few months, which is probably less likely. Right. Or in the 117th Congress, which is a full two years where there's plenty of time for members of Congress to get something done. We've heard some other groups come out and call for this to be a farm bill play. What is what does a three-year timeline do for our producers who need this help now who can't wait three years
2: It's unacceptable is what it is um, you know this is this is something that needs to be enacted you know yesterday realistically the pressure really does need to be applied to Capitol Hill and when they get conflicting messages um, that say you know no we can wait for this and make it a farm bill play uh, the arguments for and against that notwithstanding this is something that needs to be addressed right now We cannot afford to wait. Um, for these critical provisions. And like I said, it's not just uh, those existing proposals or the Basic Act. It's also you know, establishing a contract library for formulas at USDA and some of these other price transparency items that the beef industry is really in desperate need of right now. And so I, I, would, I would strongly disagree with the idea of including those in Farm Bill conversations. The need is just too immediate.
0: Yeah, I I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as we as we move through the fall, start talking about um, whatever livestock mandatory reporting reauthorization is going to look like and close out this Congress. As these things are are working and and as we're doing the the things we do every day around here in in NCBA in Washington, there's always those unexpected issues that pop up. Uh, This week was certainly one of those. You know, we we do a lot of work here on international trade. Uh, It's an important way that we continue to drive beef demand and expand that footprint around the world. But that, that comes with a need for the industry to keep an eagle eye on how those trading partners are, are doing business and ensuring that we're keeping our beef supply, which is the best in the world, uh, safe. And Kent, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what's happened this week on that front?
3: Yeah, and Ethan, I think you hit on an important point, and that is there's nothing more important for us than the health of our animals. We do everything we can to make sure that we have the safest and healthiest herd. Because if we don't have a healthy herd, we don't have an industry. And so, uh, you know, at NCBA, we're, we're definitely strong proponents of science-based trade. We want to make sure that, that everyone that we do business with is up to our standards. And so earlier this week, we, we saw a notification from the World Organization for Animal Health that the southwest uh, African country of Namibia had a case of foot-and-mouth disease. Now, foot-and-mouth disease is one of those diseases that definitely keeps us up at night. It's something we're doing everything we can to try to keep out of this country We're working with our government to make sure we have a plan in place so that we can mitigate uh, any of those risks if, uh, heaven forbid, we ever have a case here in the U.S. With that said, we don't take this lightly and we monitor every country that we trade with. So uh, Namibia uh, is a country that is it's kind of divided into two sections. You have a northern zone which has a a history of foot-and-mouth disease. It's a country, it's part of the country that's not eligible to ship to the United States and then you have the southern zone, which is eligible to shift to the United States because they have been declared foot and mouth disease free, uh, without vaccination. So that mean you really do have two different systems. This latest incident came from that northern zone.
0: So, and as I understand it, they have a they have a cordon fence that separates the entire country that's been there since like 1954. Is that right?
3: That's exactly right. So they built a fence that literally stretches from the Atlantic coast all the way to the border with Botswana. That was primarily to keep. Uh, the wild animals from from moving back and forth and carrying that disease. Uh, With that said, you're talking about a fence that was built in the 50s. You're talking about a system that we don't have direct eyes on, so we naturally have some concerns. So as soon as we saw this, the first thing we did was alert USDA. We asked, we said, look, we know everything may look fine on paper. We know that there's a monitoring system and everything else we need you to confirm that everything is above board, that there is no risk, and that everything is safe. And to USDA's credit, they responded to us immediately. They began looking into this. Uh, But this is something we're going to continue to monitor because, again, the last thing we want is to put our animals at risk, our herd at risk, and jeopardize this magnificent industry that we have. Well, and
0: we can't hesitate as an industry to, to, as we're monitoring that, if we see something that doesn't pass the smell test, so to speak, we cannot hesitate to insist that that... that importation be shut down immediately, suspended immediately, and, and, and that is gonna be our position as we watch this roll out uh, to ensure that those those standards are being met, whether it's Namibia or Brazil or anywhere else that's on that list with that, you know, obviously uh, we're watching very closely and our producers are watching very closely as well.
3: Yeah, and again we have some of the we have some of the highest standards in the world. Our interlocking safeguards make sure that any beef that's sold in the United States is, is up to our standard. We will continue to make sure that that is never compromised. Uh, we are very vigilant in this. So it's, it's not just about, you know, for us, trade's not just about opening access to other markets. It's about making sure that everything that comes in here does nothing to jeopardize our brand.
0: Well, and, and while we're talking about a, a relatively small component of, of the beef sold in this country, I mean, all of these countries are trading under this 60,000 uh, metric ton quota, that, that, that general quota, that limits what they can bring into the country. Um, it's still even a little bit that that doesn't pass that that standard is is enough to jeopardize the safety of this, this industry's beef supply. So uh, thank you for the work that you do on that because uh, it is a, it is a job that never ends watching uh, watching that that ebb and flow around the world and ensuring that we're getting the better end of those deals everywhere we go. Um, uh, we appreciate the work that you do on that. We're gonna see more and more issues develop over the next few weeks. This is, about as crazy as it gets here in Washington, D.C., leading up to an election like this. Anybody that's been watching TV over the last few weeks knows that uh, there is no shortage of storylines to follow. Um, you know, we're also waiting for a Supreme Court nominee uh, that, uh, that hopefully will get a vote, we think, here in the next few weeks. Um, you know, that's an issue that uh, we, we are gonna be having to watch as it relates to the COVID relief bill, because whatever the House gets done, and Danielle, I'm gonna ask you to weigh in on this again, um, it's going to have to go to the Senate. And, and as we know, the most precious commodity in Washington, no matter what anybody else tells you, is Senate floor time. And that is rapidly diminishing here, moving into the end of this, uh, uh, this lead up to the election, especially with quite a few members of the Senate sidelined with COVID infections right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so layering onto that, we've talked about COVID relief package. We also have to deal with the annual appropriations process and the potential SCOTUS confirmation. And you need Senate floor time for all of that. And so, you know, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks leading up to the election but the lame duck is probably going to be one of the most exciting lame ducks we've seen in recent years so
0: so i'm kind of getting the feeling from everybody i talk to and i know i'm certainly this way i'm almost afraid to start talking about it because there are so many variables at play in this lame duck that, that i'm i i do not even want to start making plans because we just don't know what the playing field is going to look
1: like yeah well they won't they It's a, that is the question
0: Well, stay tuned everybody. We're going to be keeping you posted as this develops over the next few weeks. We will have no shortage of information coming out of the D.C. office of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Thank you for tuning in. This is afternoon's Beltway Beef podcast. Steve, I'm going to turn it back over to you. You have been listening to Beltway Beef. Until we meet again, eat beef. Follow us online at policy.ncba.org
3: and on Twitter at Beltway Beef. Thank you for listening.